Hi, this is Chad Dull. Welcome to my Poverty Informed Podcast. For those of you who listen regularly, first, thank you. Uh, and second, uh, you might remember I talked about policy last time and problems with policy and equity. Uh, and I'd like to continue that conversation a little bit this week. Um, this week, I'd like to talk about the unintended consequences of well-intended policies. Um, and I'd like to do that by sharing um, some stories I don't share very often. I don't mind talking about myself, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to tell you a little bit about times that didn't work out real well for me and um, things I probably still feel a little guilty about even as I understand them better. But I hope they're useful to you and I hope maybe they inspire you to think about how policy works at your place of work. So I wrote this at the end of January and it's called Poverty Informed Practice in Higher Education, Policy and Unintended Consequences. At the end of my first semester as Vice President at MSC Southeast, I learned I had a duty I wasn't aware of. It turned out, if you ran out of appeals to return from academic suspension, the last chance you had was to reach out to me. I had roughly half a dozen students contact me in December and January, desperately seeking to return to school for the spring term. Our current college policy is you go on academic warning if your semester GPA is under 2.0. If you have two semesters in a row under that 2.0, you're academically suspended, but that suspension can be appealed to a committee. We have a great committee full of caring people, and they look at student circumstances and try to work on a plan for a successful return, if it's possible. Most of these appeals are granted, and then the student returns with requirements they have to meet. If the student doesn't meet the requirements, including a GPA requirement, the policy says they are suspended from school for a year with no opportunity to appeal. Although those of you that work with students know that they are incredibly resourceful and they, at least some of them, have figured out there's a backdoor appeal process and it involves reaching out to me. So as I said, I had some of these to review before spring term and I agonized over them. It also brought up some memories and more so it brought up concerns we weren't really accomplishing what we meant to. The memory I referred to is a story I had not thought about in a while. In 1991, I transferred from UW-Madison to UW-La Crosse. My Madison experience is a long story, but I left there with extraordinarily mixed results. I was still academically eligible, but there had been giant swings in my GPA and multiple times switching between part-time and full-time status. And in three years, I had never spoken to an advisor or had anyone reach out to me about my odd record. But that's really another story, and in 1991, I had transferred in search of a fresh start. I signed up for a full-time schedule, had a full-time job, and wanted to get my life in order, sincerely. But my demons resurfaced. I didn't have a name for it back then, but mostly I was struggling with a pretty serious anxiety disorder. Unfortunately, in those days, I thought I was just a procrastinator and lazy. Whatever it was, after about six weeks, I stopped attending classes and went into avoidance and hiding, which was not a new behavior for me. Unsurprisingly, I got a 0.0 GPA for the term. And over the Christmas break, I got a letter. 
It said, due to my academic performance, I was suspended from the college for the next two semesters. I'm guessing the letter said other things, but I don't remember them. And that's the point. All I knew was I had failed and I was in trouble. I, I would guess the letter probably had an appeal process, but I was never going to do that. I was ashamed, and I would have done anything to hide the truth from the people I loved. That meant there were probably wonderful staff at that college just waiting for me to come in so they could help me get on track, and I'm sure the policy was intended to do just that. But realistically, I was never going to come in. Instead, let me explain how that first brush with policy started a series of events that defined most of the decade for me. With my new suspension, I knew I needed to have a cover story, so I quickly told my family I was unsure of my future and I needed to take time off from school to get my plans straight. It was plausible, and it felt like it might buy me time. But you don't know what you don't know. I had student loans, and apparently you have to start paying those six months after you drop out. Who knew? I didn't have any money. I was working third shift at a fast food restaurant, so I needed another plan. Now, being broke sometimes steals your ability to make decisions which make sense to others. It's part of the context of being in crisis. So the decision I made was to quickly enroll at a school up the road which was on a quarter system and could take me in March, staving off the student loan problem. Of course, I was still broke and it would add miles to my commute. But between anxiety and financial difficulty, the short-term decision was the one I made. I enrolled at the last minute with no real financial plan and unsure how my suspension in one state impacted enrollment in another. Now remember, this was pre-internet. I'm kind of old. And this was obviously a recipe for failure. Uh, my term did not go well, but the policy at my new college said I was just on a warning. That meant a letter I could ignore. Boy, I felt like I dodged a bullet and I enrolled for the fall term. And still, Having been to three colleges, no one had reached out to me except with a letter. I'm sure the letter had all kinds of resources in it, but shame makes it easier to throw those things away and hope for a fresh start on Monday, kind of like dieting. To make the story shorter, and since it isn't fun to remember, the next term didn't go well and I got suspended for a quarter. I do remember the letter said you could appeal or just sit out, so I sat out. And when I returned, I didn't make the standard again, and this time the letter said you sit out a year. I vaguely recall some language about an appeal, but come on, was I really going to do that? After all my failures, now I would go ask for mercy? I was an intelligent guy, I had all the test scores to prove it, and here I was. I also grew up poor, and it made me defensive about asking for help. We blame poor people for being poor, and we celebrate bootstrap stories about overcoming obstacles life has put in the way. The combination of those two things made it seem like seeking help was a weakness, and it was my job to fix issues caused by my deficits. My one-year suspension turned into three years away before I returned. In between was default on student loans and the destruction of my credit. So in 1997, the bright, talented 18-year-old from the fall of 1988 returned to his third campus as an emotionally beat-down 27-year-old. And that 27-year-old told himself when he was scared he would seek help. And sometimes I did. 
but even though my grades were good, it was still a struggle financially. I was way past believing anyone thought I might deserve extra help. And in the spring of my second year back, I was out of money and it was over. Maybe it was desperation or maturity, or maybe my confidence had returned a little bit in the prior year, but for the first time I looked on campus for assistance. I went into the financial aid office and I asked to speak to someone. It's hard to explain how ashamed and anxious I was. I still remember his name. His name was Greg and he had a beard. That's all I remember. But he asked what I needed and I said I was out of money and didn't know what to do. I actually get emotional thinking about this, but he didn't judge me for a second. And he taught me about a thing called unsubsidized loans and suddenly I had a lifeline. I didn't have to work 40 hours a week. I didn't have to quit. I didn't have to fail. I've never told Greg, but he changed my life. I'm where I am today in large part because he was kind and solutions oriented. I was someone who had defaulted on student loans and I was 11 years from when I had started college. I don't know what the policy said I deserved, but Greg saw me and gave me hope. So what's the point? The point is policy has impact and it doesn't always match the intent. My colleges had policies of letters with wonderful information in them. And if I'd had the courage to read them, maybe I'd have shortened my journey back in 1991. I wonder how many students read those letters no matter how well done they are. How would I know that most appeals are granted? Who knows there's an appeal to the vice president not really spelled out in policy, but just in practice for those who can navigate the system? When I think about the half dozen students who came to me, I wonder how many didn't. Our policies are supposed to help, not punish. I don't think we design punitive policy on purpose, but I think being poverty informed means we need to look at what we are doing very carefully. My own behavior, plus some policy impacts, kept me in difficulty for much of my 20s and frankly wasted a lot of college resources too. Although I was not well off, my parents are college educated and I suspect the reason I kept returning is because they had made it through on their own crooked path. I can't help but think of everyone who didn't have an example like that to follow. It would have been very easy to just go away and stay away. So I guarantee people make that choice every term. How many could be pulled back with a personal touch like I got from Greg? How do we build resources and policy to make that happen? So in the meantime, we have to agonize over policy. And I needed to suffer with the students who came to me. I didn't let all of them back into school immediately but I did speak to each of them in person or by phone. And if the decision I made was to delay their enrollment, I asked them to meet with me personally to make a plan. I'm not saying I did anything magic. I'm not even saying I did the right thing. I'm saying a poverty-informed college doesn't hide behind policy. We wrestle and agonize with these decisions because being a professional requires it. I'm not at anti-policy. On the contrary, I'm advocating for understanding the power and implications of policy choices. I'm advocating for transparency and for policies with a student success focus at every turn. And more than anything, I'm advocating for human connection in policy to normalize help and remove stigma from struggle. 
We all want better outcomes, and careful policymaking and application can give us those.